Sorry, doctor, your, your device is muted. There you go. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, by whose grace we have the gift of another week. Hallelujah. We thank you, O oh God, for your mercy, for your love, for your kindness. For you alone are God, and all things come from you. We humble ourselves, O oh God. We bow down and worship you, O oh King of all the ages. Hallelujah. For you are God alone. Hallelujah. The immortal, the invisible, the only wise God. Father, we ask that it may please you to give us revelation and insight into the life you have called us to live. That as we meditate on your word, we may be transformed into the image of your son. For it is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, we continue our studies in the Gospel of John. And today we conclude our Lord Jesus Christ's encounter with the man that was born blind. How he impacted his life. And so made him a great evangelist. A man that became irrepressible because of his encounter with God, with our Lord Jesus Christ. So come with me as we read from John chapter 9, from verse 24. So there again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see. Therefore, your sin remains. 
Amen. Amen. Now we have the conclusion of this robust witness and defense of faith and gratitude to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The authorities decided to invite the blind man that was healed after his parents' responses were non-committal. They said he's of age, he's of age. You can ask him himself. They had little choice but to invite the man again. But this time around, the ploy was to attribute the healing miracle to God and not to our Lord Jesus, whom the Father used on this occasion. Give God the glory. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Give God the glory, they said, because by our reckoning, the man is a sinner. He violated the Shabbat day law by healing your blind eyes. Think of it. And you and I can see how unsympathetic these religious people can be. A man born blind was healed. Instead of joining him to praise the Lord, you tell him that our Lord Jesus should not have healed him on the Shabbat. Can you believe that? <laughs> but thus is the is the blindness of um, religion. Even if our Lord Jesus was there every day, how could one forego their season of visitation and healing because of a Lord that was designed for the benefit of man? The Shabbat was made for man and not man for the Shabbat. It is sheer insensitivity to fail to empathize with the suffering of a man born blind. Our Lord Jesus had this in mind when he denounced these teachers in Matthew 23, 23. What to use scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. The weightier matters of the law are justice, mercy, and faith. Mercy was shown to the man born blind. But the Pharisees only saw the violation of the Sabbath day rules. But the healed blind man was quick to respond. Do not drag me into this quibble of who is a sinner and who is not. But listen, I know one thing for sure. Once I was blind, but now I see. Let us know that those who oppose the gospel of the kingdom of God will use whatever they can find to discredit the truth of the gospel. You know, a critic, when he cannot make that distinction, between the spirit and the letter of the law in a matter. Love, compassion, and mercy to a man born blind is far superior to the violation of the Sabbath day rule. There are many things that go on in the church like that. You know, we, we tend to major in minors. So, a man would rather uh, not take communion to remember Jesus and, 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 uh, and uh, benefit with a heart filled with gratitude as his sacrifice because of the time of the day. So before we start criticizing them, let us remember that we do the same things. And this is one of them. The man was born blind. But he had sound 
logical reasoning in his head. And we shall see this as we go along. From him, we must learn to hold our heads and reason to ensure we do not put truth on his head like these people. They called him for a second review. What I call one review too many. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they revived him and said, you are his disciples. We are Moses' disciples. One reviewed too many indeed. This was the way the blind man with opened eyes saw his second interrogation. I have told you already how he opened my eyes and you refused to listen. Hear and understand. This was a stupendous miracle. So why do you want to hear it again? And he made a suggestion. Perhaps you now want to join his band of disciples. It appears the man knew exactly what to say <laughs> to get them off his back. The suggestion that they were entertaining thoughts of being our Lord's disciple sounded like this. They knew after that that they could not continue to discredit the man's experience or they would get a full lecture they were not prepared for. Well, we must learn to use the wisdom of God to silence every opposition like this man did here. Seriously. Do you guys want to be his disciples? Is that why you are asking me all these questions? They paid a great compliment to the man when they said to him, you are his disciple. May that be said of us that we are disciples of our Lord Jesus, who honor and defend him before men by testifying of all the wonderful things he has done in us, for us, and through us. They were proud to say that they were disciples of Moses. But how can you follow the servant and forsake his master? Our Lord Jesus had previously debunked their claims to believe Moses in John chapter 5, verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, by claiming to be disciples of Moses, they condemned themselves because Moses was one of the first to prophesy about the Lord Jesus Christ in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Moses foresaw the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ like a man looking in an ancient mirror and seeing dimly and not clearly. As we read in Deuteronomy 18, verse 17, then the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. Besides, Moses was the one who wrote in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the earliest indication of the virgin birth, the incarnation of Christ, the seed of the woman. And it was written by Moses. They claim we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. For this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. 
But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he has him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we don't know where this man who opened your eyes is from. This statement, the man found most bewildering. You are the religious leaders. You are the custodians of our prophetic history. How can it be possible that someone is opening blind eyes of a person born blind and you, the religious leaders, you have no clue where he is from. How is that possible? That was a very inviting opportunity to lecture them. And you know, every time you and I get such an opportunity, we should take it and give a seasoned lecture. The man took it gladly. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He was very logical about his talk. And you and I need to be. Point one, God does not hear sinners. That is a given. The prayer that God hears from a sinner is when he or she is returning from his from his or her evil ways, as in Luke 18:13, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The most important prayer of a sinner is his prayer of repentance. When he realizes that his life is completely meaningless and lost without the Savior. And then he comes to God in humility to say, Lord, please have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. The prodigal son revealed the anguish of a repentant heart when he said, in Luke 15, 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is the prayer of the sinner that God welcomes, returning from the wayward ways to lead a life that is pleasing to God. The thief on the cross with our Lord Jesus revealed the prayer of the sinner that God hears. In Luke 23, 40, but the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. That's the prayer that God has. <laughs> when a man is repentant, when he comes face to face with the reality of God's judgment on the sins of his life and comes to God penitent, asking for mercy and forgiveness. King David knew what God requires from a sinner. In Psalm 51, 16, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. It's not about money. It's not about uh, gifts. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. 
you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. The man that was born blind, he could also have been quoting from Proverbs 15, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. That's what he was saying to them. God doesn't hear sinners unless they are repentant. The way of the wicked, verse 9 says, is an abomination to the Lord. But he loves him who follows righteousness. So that's the difference. You see, when a man has repented and now walks the path of righteousness that our Lord Jesus Christ called the straight and narrow, then his prayers will be a delight to God. The second point the man made is that God hears the prayers of the righteous and the prayers of the repentant. The prophet Samuel said to Israel, your repentance must be genuine and wholehearted and must be accompanied by change of heart and change of ways if you want me to pray for you and for God to hear your prayers. First Samuel 7, 3, Samuel said, Samuel told the entire nation of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord wholeheartedly, then get rid of the foreign gods you have, including the statues of the goddess Astate. Make a commitment to the Lord and serve only him. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of the statues of Baal and Astate and served only the Lord. And Samuel said, gather all the Israelites together at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So the Israelites gathered together at Mizpah. They drew some water, poured it out in front of the Lord, and fasted that day. They confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. So Samuel judged Israel in Mizpah. So, so the, the, the same thing is found both in the old and the new. The way to approach God is first to humble ourselves, confess our sins, accept that but for his grace, we are finished. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ taught when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, but theirs is the kingdom of God. Those who know that outside of God's grace, they're finished. That's the prayer God welcomes from his sinner. The Pharisees were the custodians of this part of the history of the Jews. And so they must know from the scriptures that sinners do not perform miracles. Nor do they bring God's power and glory down to reveal his compassion like Jesus our Lord did. Point three. God hears the prayers of those who do his will. Our Lord Jesus revealed this earlier in John 5.19. When he said to the Jews, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, the reason why you see all these works through me is that I let the Father finish before I begin. I can do nothing of my own self. So the blind man was saying to them, it's when you live like that, when you do the will of God, when you follow in the footprints of Jesus, that's when you should have expectations for God to answer your prayers. Again, our Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, verse 28, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always... Not sometimes. I always do those things that please him. 
That's the way to get God to be with us, to answer our prayers, to take us in, to be, for us to become instruments in his hand. The blind man knew that from common sense. These common sense lessons are also for us, you and I, to know. Because the postulations of the man that was formerly blind are true to scripture. When we do as God says, God will hear our prayers. Our Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. That is it. That is it. As the Father gave me commandment, so I do. I neither deviate to the right or to the left. I do as the <laughs> Father says. That is what it means to follow in the footprints of Jesus. That is what it means to live the life of Christ, to do as the Father says, whether it is written in the word or spoken to our hearts. There is no magic. I tell people, there is no magic in Christianity. The principles are there that if you and I do as the Father says, if we follow what he says, then when we pray, it is natural to expect answers. It is normal to expect answers. Now, this man ended his postulations with a QED. <laughs> you know, we remember that in Mars. What they are demonstrating, I've proved it. I've proven it to you. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. QED. <laughs> so the fact that he opened my eyes proves that he's from God. And at that point, there was nothing further they could say other than recognize that they were permitting an unlettered man to teach them some common sense. <laughs> that is it. You and I must pray for wisdom to silence opposition, to, to, to give them penetrating insight that shatters all their delusions. Their response, of course, was to insult the man, for they could not match his logic. They couldn't match his argument. So they resorted to insult. And that's okay. You know, when people can match the wisdom and the logic that we speak with and insult us, that's okay. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Oh, yes. You know, rather than admit that, whoa, this man, he was born blind. He's never been anywhere. But through common sense logic, he has put us to shame. They cast him out of the synagogue because he was asserting by implication that our Lord Jesus was the Christ. Being cast out is nothing new. Our Lord Jesus Christ said so. And when he heard, verse 35 says, that they had cast him out, he went in search of him and found him. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Hallelujah. This is a very moving, very moving session that this man was fighting 
defending, boldly asserting that he never met the Lord. He just had an encounter that transformed his life. And he could not be repressed, suppressed, oppressed. No, he stood his ground. That's the challenge to you and I. No matter where we are, no matter where we go, we must take every opportunity to stand our ground, to, to, to declare, assert, proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he brought the kingdom of God to become residential in your heart and in mine. Our Lord Jesus had warned his disciples about this. In Matthew 10, 17. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So the news that they had cast the man out of their synagogue reached our Lord Jesus Christ. So he sought out the man who witnessed such a bold witness before the authorities. Even before he met the Savior, that's really awesome. Do you believe in the Son of God? This is an awesome wonder. The man, like I said, stood up for our Lord and Savior on the basis of his encounter and his healing. Our Lord Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, 27, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, and Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's what this man represents. He had not seen. Yes, he just had an encounter, but he hadn't seen. But he believed like no other. Who is the son of man that I may believe in him? What a childlike simplicity. He stood up for his Lord who had compassion on him and opened his eyes. And now for the first time in his life, he's seeing him. And all he had to do was Bow down and worship him. Lord, I believe. My heart is bowed down in worship. How do you and I respond? I met a man once who thought he was doing God a favor by coming to the fellowship. He told me, it's enough. It's enough that I'm coming to church. I, I don't ask me to come to any other meeting. This one is enough. <laughs> I laughed. I said, but your breath is in his hands. Have you forgotten? What about your heart, my brother? What about your heart, my sister? The greatest thing our Lord Jesus did for us is to clear our spiritual blindness so that our hearts can bow down in worship. When your eyes open and you see the life that you are living and you see the hell that was beckoning, that beckoning to you, join us. Because our Lord Jesus Christ said that hell was originally designed for the devil and his angels. But now they're looking for company. The prophet Isaiah said, 
Hell has enlarged its borders. Yes, because hell, hell, you have noticed that many people, many people are coming. There's a building boom in hell. And there are ovens. So when you realize what our Lord Jesus Christ rescued you and I from, oh yes, bow down and worship and say, Lord, I thank you from the depths of my heart. Then our Lord Jesus Christ finally addressed the scourge of spiritual blindness. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him, they heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no problems. Yes, you know exactly where you are. But now you say we see. And therefore, your sin remains. Oh, yes. If you were blind and admitted you were blind, you were a sinner, you admitted you were a sinner, you don't have a problem. You just go to the Savior for cleansing. But when you are a sinner and you are declaring you are righteous, ah, that's where there's a problem. The blindness remains. Spiritual, spiritual blindness is the very malady that our Lord Jesus came to cure for humanity. We are told about judgment and condemnation of humanity. In John chapter 3, verse, from verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They want to continue in their sins. That's why they love darkness. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You know, there are people, you know, who think that uh, at the end of the day, what is going to happen is that they, they will come to judgment and then when they're listing their sins, they'll be defending themselves and, and saying uh, why and, and wherefore, you know, this happened and the other. Who would have that type of time? <laughs> the Bible says, he that believeth not, who that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already before you get there condemned already because they offered you you know the gift to become righteous by faith through grace you know by grace through faith rather and you dropped it you rejected it then you don't have an excuse light came into the world but men loved darkness because their deeds are evil, they want to continue in their sins. And that's why, you know, the, the judgment is without mercy. Because mercy is given now by the grace of God to everyone. And when you reject it, then the judgment will be without mercy. Our Lord Jesus said to his brethren in John chapter 7, verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. That's it. Once you begin to say what is wrong, what is sinful, what is not acceptable to God, many people are unhappy. They say, oh, you're making people seem conscious. Oh, you're making them feel guilty. No, we are called to live holy. 
Don't let anybody fool you with all of that. It's because they're uncomfortable. They're living lives that don't glorify God. There is nothing like sin consciousness. It's sensitivity to sin that keeps a man holy so that he won't sin. It's not any sin consciousness. You see, if, if I know that uh, telling lies offends God, so if there's something that will make me tell lies and I say, oh, 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 I go this way. Ah, it is a sensitivity to sin so that I can continue to live holy. It's not a consciousness of the sin. It's I'm sensitive to it so that I don't get involved. I tell people that God is always preventive. He doesn't want me to get involved. So he doesn't have to come and deliver me. Our Lord Jesus said to his brethren, yes, the world won't hate you. They hate me because of what I say to them. There is a rhetorical question for us all in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Our Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees, your blindness remains because you claim that you see. If you admit your ignorance and sin, your blindness will be wiped away. And henceforth, your priority will be for the kingdom of God and its righteousness. The Bible says we are children of light. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, for you were once darkness. That is it, once, before, before, you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You know, nobody should think that they can do uh, commit secret sins. Like one preacher said, God sees better in the dark than in the day. So nothing can be <laughs> hidden from him. So let us walk in the light of the revelation knowledge of God. 1 John 1, 5 says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from our sin. So let us determine as individuals, as groups, let us determine, encourage one another to live the life to which we have been called so that the kingdom of our God will prosper in our hands. The blind man that was made to see said to them, we know, we know that God does not hear sinners. That is an inspiration to live godly so that God will hear us, so that our prayers will count. James says in James 5, 16, says, the prayer of a righteous man is very effective. The prayer of the man who lives godly is very effective. That's why I say to brethren, if you live godly, please pray because your prayer will count more than those who don't live godly. May God continue to inspire us to live the life to which we have been called and stand up and testify that truly Jesus Christ is Lord. He came into Amen. the world to save sinners. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, doctor. You know, a good place to start is the fact that this blind man formed an opinion on because he had experienced it and he was not afraid or shy to share it. And it's a parallel that you're drawing for us that when we get when we're in that opportunity, when we find ourselves under inquisition, as it were, whatever opinion we have formed of the Lord, 
must come out. I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yes, um, um, you see, when, when a man testifies freely, is because the reality of his experiences with him, you know, he's not quibbling. You can see this man wasn't quibbling, you know, but he knows exactly what Jesus did for him, you know, and and um, he does not always have to be as dramatic as what happened to him. But you see, when a man is headed the wrong way and is rescued and brought back, you know, you can sit down and look back at your life and say, oh, Lord, my God, I thank you. In those um, um, early 80s, there used to be a song, where would I be? And a crowd sang it. Where would I be if Jesus didn't come? Where would I be? You know, I probably would be in one uh, bar dancing kokoma, you know, all kinds of things. And, and you think about, think about all the things that could have happened to you if you weren't a Christian. All the places you could have been found and maybe you've been dead already. And that's why, you see, and, uh, encounters don't have to be as dramatic as opening the eyes of the blind. But encounters are genuine in that our lives, just like this man's life was changed, encounters change lives. And once you, you know that your life has been changed, ah, you have the boldness and the inner strength to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He changed my life. Any other question? Yes, doctor. Um, so another person is asking, why did Jesus ask the blind man the question of believing on the Son of God? The Jews were expecting a prophet? Oh, now, you see, what our Lord Jesus Christ did there was um, the, 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 the man, the, 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 it was the man when they asked him, say, what do you say about him? He said, he's a prophet. You know, and we said last week that the reason why that answer is common is because they're expecting a prophet, you know, before the Messiah. You know, they have not quite accepted John the Baptist. Our Lord Jesus Christ was the one who said, if you want to believe it, that's Elijah that is to come. So, so, so they were expecting a prophet. But Jesus was telling the man that this is greater than a prophet. This is the son of God. You know, this is the, some text will say this is the son of man. So, so it's the same thing. But it's to is to state clearly that this is more. I am more than a prophet. I am the son of God, incarnate, so that men and women, as like I always say, that the son of God became the son of man, so that sons of men can become sons of God. That's what, what, that's what transpired. That's what the whole thing is really all about, you know. And that's why the Apostle John said, we're not sure what exactly what it will be, but what we do know is that when he appears, we'll be like him. You know, we'll be like him. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, on the, on the flip side, sir, on the flip side, Dr. Galistic, you know, without seeing what God is doing, rather than looking for a fault. Sorry, you're, you're cutting off a bit, so. Okay, sorry. Uh, I said, how do we stop ourselves from being legalistic like the Pharisees that's not seeing the glory of God and just looking for a fault? Well, one, one always has to be very careful about that, you know. And that's why, um, and, and um, oftentimes people do that as a defense mechanism. When you hit um, at something they're really doing wrong or someplace where they're going wrong, they become, you know, argumentative, legalistic, you know, a man said to another, um, um, oh, this thing you're doing is wrong. 
And the man said, oh, but yesterday you did so and so wrong. I said, why didn't you point it out then? You don't have any reason for not pointing it out. So it's not now that I'm pointing out something you're doing wrong, that you remember I did something wrong yesterday. No, if you want to help me, if you see me doing something wrong, you know, come and tell me too, because everybody, everybody needs to improve daily. We need to grow daily. And, and uh, being legalistic is just a way of uh, finding fault with the truth, you know. But the spirit and letter must agree, you know. And where they don't agree, the spirit, you know, shows you the direction in which to go, the, the, the message, you know. So, so somebody, somebody may come and say, and say, um, oh, oh, uh, uh, um, Somebody like somebody said to me the other day that uh, Elisha permitted Naaman to continue to 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 go to the temple of their God because uh, Naaman said it's impossible for me not to follow the king to the temple, and and Elisha said go in peace. Elisha didn't say continue uh, going to the temple. He just said, well, you, since you feel that. It, it's untenable in your position as the king's uh, uh, general not to be in the, uh, to, there to worship. Ah, God is the judge. I leave you to him. You know. But then somebody might then use that and say, well, that means that uh, we can have all these things and do all these things and, and we'll be in peace. Ah. <laughs> there is no such thing. Now, at the heart of the matter, doctor, is that when we get when we get convinced in our hearts concerning Jesus, we must be ready for persecution and to be pushed out of the, the 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 associations of men and the advantages of society. That's the bottom line that this this man teaches us. Well, yes, you, you should expect that naturally. That uh, people are going to oppose you. They are going to attack you. They are going to say things. You know, yes, and you should, you and I should be ready for that because that's what our Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, don't expect them to welcome you with open arms, you know, when you stand up for the truth and denounce evil and invite people to repent and follow Jesus. Yes, yes, persecutions follow, and they do follow everywhere, really. You know, particularly in this uh, uh, environment where corruption is endemic, to be the only person who's not getting involved. And it's all because of your loyalty to Christ. And the people know it. That will bring a lot of opposition. And that's the one many people cannot handle. But that's what we must do because that's what the scripture said. That's the only way to bring light in the midst of darkness. And so it comes back to our Lord Jesus' statement that we must count the cost well Everybody. before we are asked to pay it. Everybody. Everybody. You don't have a choice. Everybody comes the cost. Everybody comes the cost. And that's where really many people uh, uh, drop out. You know, that's where the parable of the sower touches everyone. You have to determine what kind of soil you are. You know, those that uh, have no depth that fell by the wayside, or those that fell on stone, they were excited initially, but then persecution, inconvenience arises as a result, and then they fall off. And then those that fell in the thorns, the cares of this world, the, the, the seductions of wealth and, and gain, hope buried the world and they became unfruitful. And then finally, the 25% that fell on good ground and produced results. You know, everybody must aim to be in that 25% that fell on good ground, who are fruitful, some 30 fold, some 60 fold, some 100 fold. Oh, but this is, um, I guess this is the sober truth, which is that at one time or the other, we'll all be faced with making a choice for Jesus before men. Oh, yes. Yes. Not once, not twice. It's something that happens frequently. You know, that's why. Uh, uh, um, you have this situation where a man goes where there's a lot of persecution. In fact, they told us that story many years ago in the scripture unit. 
At a, a young man went to where there was a lot of persecution against Christians. And after six months uh, temporary transfer, he came back. And everybody was eager to find out how he survived. You said there was no persecution at all. I said, oh, oh how did that happen? You said, I didn't tell anybody I was a Christian. You <laughs> said, why should I tell them? When you know that, when you tell them, there'll be trouble. I just prayed quietly in my, in my place. I didn't tell them. That is it. That is it. You know. So, you, you, you know, you're a Christian, but then you get into a place where it's all darkness and evil and corruption and wickedness. You just keep quiet. You know, the, the, the story of a man who collected, uh, they shared a lot of money from bribe or whatever, and, and he was a Christian, and he told them to, to keep his own in, the, in a cupboard in his office. And then he started to pray what he would do with it. You know, <laughs> Doctor, uh, and uh, then, our final. Sorry, go on. And then, and then um, um, they came back later and said, oh, "There's problem with that money." You say, ah, "Go and collect it where you kept it. It's still there." <laughs> so, so, so that's not the type of Christian we are called to be. Is to say, "No, this thing is wrong. Don't, don't get me involved in it." You know. Our final question is. Uh... A questioner wants to know how we can each be the seed that produces a hundredfold return. is driven by desire. You know, first of all, you must want to be fruitful. You know, and if you want to be fruitful, then you pray daily, Lord, I need to grace and power to be fruitful. You see, such simple prayers, uncomplicated, they change people's lives. I want to be fruitful. You know, um, Dale Moody said that he made a commitment to God that he must witness to one soul every day, every day of his life. He said he made a commitment. And then one day he was going home after, work, after his work, I think around seven or eight, and he remembered that he hasn't spoken to anybody. So he said he went back. He went back to the train station or bus stop and spoke to somebody that he found there about Christ. So, so you see, when you, when you make a decision, heart decision, then the Holy Spirit will continue to prompt you, you know, to be effective. You know, when I was uh, in the university, I, I kept thinking about how to reach people. The Holy Spirit made me write. I wrote tracts for pregnant women attending the maternity clinic. I wrote tracts for for, for medical patients attending the medical clinic. I wrote different tracks for different groups. You know, you never know what the Holy Spirit will make you do, you know, when you, you are determined to be fruitful. It's all from the heart. Once you determine, it, it, will produce, it will tell you where you are, what you are capable of doing and what you can do. But it has to come from each and every one of us. I want to be fruitful. Thank you, Doctor. Will you pray for us? that each of us will count the cost and be ready to pay it when we find ourselves before the men, so that the Lord Jesus Christ will not say of us, I will deny you before my Father and the angels in heaven. Let us pray. King Immortal, Invisible, we are grateful that you have called us to yourself. And Lord, if there is anyone at all under the sound of my voice who has not yet had a personal relationship with the Son of God. Oh, Jesus, may your Spirit draw them to yourself now. Amen. That they will say to you, my Lord and my God, I surrender my heart to you. And if that is your portion, say that, and Jesus will receive you. Amen. And Father, as we travel this road that is straight and narrow, Empower us by your spirit to be faithful, to testify about you to the world around us and to take whatever oppression or, or, or attacks or persecution that follow, knowing that you are with us and you will always make a way. We thank you, oh God. Thank Let you. your hand rest mightily upon your children, particularly in this season that we may stand up for truth, for righteousness, for justice, so that this nation will evolve to become a righteous nation. 
just like we received from prophecy. For in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Amen.